section thirty two of the crime of sylvestre bonheur by anatole france this librivox recording is in the public domain december twenty eighth the idea that jean was obliged to sweep the rooms had become absolutely unbearable the weather was dark and cold night had already begun i rang the school-door bell with the tranquillity of a resolute man the moment that the timid servant opened the door i slipped a gold piece into her hand and promised her another if she would arrange matters so that i could see mademoiselle alexandre her answer was in one hour from now at the grated window and she slammed the door in my face so rudely that she knocked my hat into the gutter i waited for one very long hour in a violent snowstorm then i approached the window nothing the wind raged and the snow fell heavily workmen passing by with their implements on their shoulders and their heads bent down to keep the snow from coming in their faces rudely jostled me still nothing i began to fear i had been observed i knew that i had done wrong in bribing a servant but i was not a bit sorry for it woe to the man who does not know how to break through social regulations in case of necessity another quarter of an hour passed nothing at last the window was partly opened is that you monsieur bonnard is that you jean tell me at once what has become of you i am well very well but what else they have put me in the kitchen and i have to sweep the schoolrooms in the kitchen sweeping you gracious goodness yes because my guardian does not pay for my schooling any longer gracious goodness your guardian seems to me to be a thorough scoundrel then you know what oh don't ask me to tell you that but i would rather die than find myself alone with him again and why did you not write to me i was watched at this instant i formed a resolve which nothing in this world could have induced me to change i did indeed have some idea that i might be acting contrary to law but i did not give myself the least concern about that idea and being firmly resolved i was able to be prudent i acted with remarkable coolness jean i asked tell me does that room you are in open into the courtyard yes can you open the street door from the inside yourself yes if there is nobody in the porter's lodge go and see if there is any one there and be careful that nobody observes you then i waited keeping a watch on the door and window in six or seven seconds jean reappeared behind the bars and said the servant is in the porter's lodge very well i said have you a pen and ink no a pencil yes pass it out here i took an old newspaper out of my pocket and in a wind which blew almost hard enough to put the street lamps out in a downpour of snow which almost blinded me i managed to wrap up and address that paper to mademoiselle prefere while i was writing i asked jean when the postman passes he puts the papers and letters in the box doesn't he he rings the bell and goes away then the servant opens the letter-box and takes whatever she finds there to mademoiselle prefer immediately is not that about the way the thing is managed whenever any thing comes by post jean thought it was 
then we shall soon see jean go and watch again and as soon as the servant leaves the lodge open the door and come out here to me having said this i put my newspaper in the box gave the bell a tremendous pull and then hid myself in the embrasure of a neighbouring door i might have been there several minutes when the little door quivered then opened and a young girl's head made its appearance through the opening i took hold of it i pulled it towards me come jean come she stared at me uneasily certainly she must have been afraid that i had gone mad but on the contrary i was very rational indeed come my child come where to madame de gabry's then she took my arm for some time we ran like a couple of thieves but running is an exercise ill suited to one as corpulent as i am and finding myself out of breath at last i stopped and leaned upon something which turned out to be the stove of a dealer in roasted chestnuts who was doing business at the corner of a wine-seller's shop where a number of cabmen were drinking one of them asked us if we did not want a cab most assuredly we wanted a cab the driver after setting down his glass on the zinc counter climbed upon his seat and urged his horse forward we were saved phew i panted wiping my forehead for in spite of the cold i was perspiring profusely what seemed very odd was that jean appeared to be much more conscious than i was of the enormity which we had committed she looked very serious indeed and was visibly uneasy in the kitchen i cried out with indignation she shook her head as if to say well there or anywhere else what does it matter to me and by the light of the street-lamps i observed with pain that her face was very thin and her features all pinched i did not find in her any of that vivacity any of those bright impulses any of that quickness of expression which used to please me so much her gaze had become timid her gestures constrained her whole attitude melancholy i took her hand a little cold hand which had become all hardened and bruised the poor child must have suffered very much i questioned her she told me very quietly that mademoiselle prefere had summoned her one day and called her a little monster and a little viper for some reason which she had never been able to learn she had added you shall not see monsieur bonnard any more for he has been giving you bad advice and he has conducted himself in a most shameful manner towards me i then said to her that mademoiselle you will never be able to make me believe then mademoiselle slapped my face and sent me back to the schoolroom the announcement that i should never be allowed to see you again made me feel as if night had come down upon me don't you know those evenings when one feels so sad to see the darkness come or just imagine such a moment stretched out into weeks into whole months don't you remember my little st georges up to that time i had worked at it as well as i could just simply to work at it just to amuse myself but when i lost all hope of ever seeing you again i took my little wax figure and i began to work at it in quite another way i did not try to model it with wooden matches any more as i had been doing but with hairpins i even made use of apingles a la neige but perhaps you do not know what apingles a la neige are well i became more particular about than you can possibly imagine i put a dragon on st georges's helmet and i passed hours and hours in making a head and eyes and tail for the dragon oh the eyes the eyes above all 
i never stopped working at them till i got them so that they had red pupils and white eyelids and eyebrows and everything i know i am very silly i had an idea that i was going to die as soon as my little saint georges would be finished i worked at it during recreation hours and mademoiselle Prefer used to let me alone one day i learned that you were in the parlour with the schoolmistress i watched for you we said au revoir that day to each other i was a little consoled by seeing you but some time after that my guardian came and wanted to make me go to his house but please don't ask me why monsieur he answered me quite gently that i was a very whimsical little girl and then he left me alone but the next day mademoiselle Prefere came to me with such a wicked look on her face that i was really afraid she had a letter in her hand mademoiselle she said to me i am informed by your guardian that he has spent all the money which belonged to you don't be afraid i do not intend to abandon you but you must acknowledge yourself it is only right that you should earn your own livelihood then she put me to work house-cleaning and whenever i made a mistake she would lock me up in the garret for days together and that is what has happened to me since i saw you last even if i had been able to write to you i do not know whether i should have done it because i did not think you could possibly take me away from the school and as maitre mouche did not come back to see me there was no hurry i thought i could wait for a while in the garret and the kitchen jean i cried even if we should have to flee to oceania the abominable prefere shall never get hold of you again i will take a great oath on that and why should we not go to oceania the climate is very healthy and i read in the newspaper the other day that they have pianos there but in the meantime let us go to the house of madame de gabry who returned to paris as luck would have it some three or four days ago for you and i are two innocent fools and we have great need of some one to help us even as i was speaking jean's features suddenly became pale and seemed to shrink into lifelessness her eyes became all dim her lips half open contracted with an expression of pain then her head sank sideways on her shoulder she had fainted i lifted her in my arms and carried her up madame de gabry's staircase like a little baby asleep but i was myself on the point of fainting from emotional excitement and fatigue together when she came to herself again ah it is you she said so much the better such was our condition when we rang our friend's doorbell same day it was eight o'clock madame de gabry as might be supposed was very much surprised by our unexpected appearance but she welcomed the old man and the child with that glad kindness which always expresses itself in her beautiful gestures it seems to me if i might use the language of devotion so familiar to her it seems to me as though some heavenly grace streams from her hands whenever she opens them and even the perfume which impregnates her robes seems to inspire the sweet calm zeal of charity and good works surprised she certainly was but she asked us no question and that silence seemed to me admirable madame i said to her we have both come to place ourselves under your protection and first of all we are going to ask you to give us some supper or to give jean some at least for a moment ago in the carriage she fainted from weakness as for myself i could not eat a bite at this late hour without passing a night of agony in consequence i hope that m de gabry is well oh he is here she said 
and she called him immediately come in here paul come and see monsieur bonnard and mademoiselle alexandre he came it was a pleasure for me to see his frank broad face and to press his strong square hand then we went all four of us into the dining-room and while some cold meat was being cut for jean which she never touched notwithstanding i related our adventure paul de gabry asked me permission to smoke his pipe after which he listened to me in silence when i had finished my recital he scratched the short stiff beard upon his chin and uttered a tremendous sacre bleu but seeing jean stare at each of us in turn with a frightened look in her face he added we will talk about this matter to-morrow morning come into my study for a moment i have an old book to show you that i want you to tell me something about i followed him into his study where the steel of guns and hunting knives suspended against the dark hangings glimmered in the lamplight there pulling me down beside him upon a leather-covered sofa he exclaimed what have you done great god do you know what you have done corruption of a minor abduction kidnapping you have got yourself into a nice mess you have simply rendered yourself liable to a sentence of imprisonment of not less than five or more than ten years mercy on us i cried ten years imprisonment for having saved an innocent child that is the law answered monsieur de gabry you see my dear monsieur bonnard i happen to know the code pretty well not because i ever studied law as a profession but because as mayor of lusance i was obliged to teach myself something about it in order to be able to give information to my subordinates mouche is a rascal that woman prefer is a vile hussy and you are a well i really cannot find a word strong enough to signify what you are after opening his bookcase where dog-collars riding-whips stirrups spurs cigar-boxes and a few books of reference were indiscriminately stowed away he took out of it a copy of the code and began to turn over the leaves crimes and misdemeanors sequestration of persons that is not your case abduction of minors here we are article three fifty four whosoever shall either by fraud or violence have abducted or have caused to be abducted any minor or minors or shall have enticed them or turned them away from or forcibly removed them or shall have caused them to be enticed or turned away from or forcibly removed from the places on which they have been placed by those to whose authority or direction they have been submitted or confided shall be liable to the penalty of imprisonment see penal code twenty one and twenty eight here is twenty one the term of imprisonment shall not be less than five years twenty eight the sentence of imprisonment shall be considered as involving a loss of civil rights now all that is very plain is it not monsieur bonnard perfectly plain now let us go on article three fifty six in case the abductor be under the age of twenty one years at the time of the offence he shall only be punished with but we certainly cannot invoke this article in your favour article three hundred and fifty seven in case the abductor shall have married the girl by him abducted he can only be prosecuted at the insistence of such persons as according to the civil code may have the right to demand that the marriage shall be declared null nor can he be condemned until after the nullity of the marriage shall have been pronounced i do not know whether it is a part of your plans to marry mademoiselle alexandre you can see that the code is good-natured about it it leaves you one door of escape but no i ought not to joke with you because really you have put yourself in a very unfortunate position 
and how could a man like you imagine that here in paris in the middle of the nineteenth century a young girl can be abducted with absolute impunity we're not living in the middle ages now and such things are no longer permitted by law you need not imagine i replied that abduction was lawful under the ancient code you will find in Toulouse a decree issued by king chettelbert at cologne either in five ninety three or five ninety four on the subject moreover everybody knows that the famous ordonnance de blois of may fifteen seventy nine formally enacted that any persons convicted of having suborned any son or daughter under the age of twenty-five years whether under promise of marriage or otherwise without the full knowledge will or consent of the father mother and guardians should be punished with death and the ordinance adds et pareillement sera puni extraordinairement to ceux qui ont participé de rap et qui auraient conseil confort et aidant aucune manière que ce soit and in like manner shall be extraordinarily punished all persons whomsoever who shall have participated in the said abduction and who shall have given thereunto counsel succour and aid in any manner whatsoever those are the exact or very nearly the exact terms of the ordinance as for that article of the code napoleon which you have just told me of and which accepts from liability to prosecution the abductor who marries the young girl abducted by him it reminds me that according to the laws of britannia forcible abduction followed by marriage was not punished but this usage which involved various abuses was suppressed in seventeen twenty at least i give you the date within ten years my memory is not very good now and the time is long past when i could repeat by heart without even stopping to take breath fifteen hundred verses of gerard de roussillon as far as regards the capitulary of charlemagne which fixes the compensation for abduction i have not mentioned it because i am sure that you must remember it so my dear monsieur de gabry you see abduction was considered as decidedly a punishable offence under the three dynasties of old france it is a very great mistake to suppose that the middle ages represent a period of social chaos you must remember on the contrary monsieur de gabry here interrupted me so he exclaimed you know of the ordonnance de blois you know blaluz you know childebert you know the capitularies and you don't know anything about the code napoleon i replied that as a matter of fact i never had read the code and he looked very much surprised and now do you understand he asked the extreme gravity of the action you have committed i had not indeed been yet able to understand it fully but little by little with the aid of m paul's very sensible explanations i reached the conviction at last that i should not be judged in regard to my motives which were innocent but only according to my action which was punishable thereupon i began to feel very despondent and to utter divers lamentations what am i to do i cried out what am i to do am i then irretrievably ruined and have i also ruined the poor child whom i wanted to save m de gabry silently filled his pipe and lighted it so slowly that his kind broad face remained for at least three or four minutes glowing red behind the light like a blacksmith's in the gleam of his forge fire then he said you want to know what to do why don't do anything my dear monsieur bernard for god's sake and for your own sake don't do anything at all your situation is bad enough as it is don't try to meddle with it now unless you want to create new difficulties for yourself 
but you must promise me to sustain me in any action that i may take i shall go to see m mouche the very first thing to-morrow morning and if he turns out to be what i think he is that is to say a consummate rascal i shall very soon find means of making him harmless even if the devil himself should take sides with him for everything depends on him as it is too late this evening to take mademoiselle jean back to her boarding-school my wife will keep the young lady here to-night this of course plainly constitutes the misdemeanor of complicity but it saves the girl from anything like an equivocal position as for you my dear monsieur you just go back to the quai malaquais as quickly as you can and if they come to look for jeanne there it will be very easy for you to prove she is not in your house while we were thus talking madame de gabry was preparing to make her young lodger comfortable for the night when she bade me good-bye at the door she was carrying a pair of clean sheets scented with lavender thrown over her arm that i said is a sweet honest smell well of course answered madame de gabry you must remember we are peasants ah i answered her heaven grant that i also may be able one of these days to become a peasant heaven grant that one of these days i may be able as you are at lausance to inhale the sweet fresh odour of the country and live in some little house all hidden among trees and if this wish of mine be too ambitious on the part of an old man whose life is nearly closed then i will only wish that my winding sheet may be as sweetly scented with lavender as that linen you have on your arm it was agreed that i should come to lunch the following morning but i was positively forbidden to show myself at the house before midday jeanne as she kissed me good-bye begged me not to take her back to the school any more we felt much affected at parting and very anxious i found therese waiting for me on the landing in such a condition of worry about me that it had made her furious she talked of nothing less than keeping me under lock and key in the future what a night i passed i never closed my eyes for one single instant from time to time i could not help laughing like a boy at the success of my prank and then again an inexpressible feeling of horror would come upon me at the thought of being dragged before some magistrate and having to take my place upon the prisoner's bench to answer for the crime which i had so naturally committed i was very much afraid and nevertheless i felt no remorse or regret whatever the sun coming into my room at last merrily lighted upon the foot of my bed and then i made this prayer my god thou who didst make the sky and the dew as it is said in tristan judge me in thine equity not indeed according unto my acts but according only to my motives which thou knowest have been upright and pure and i will say glory to thee in heaven and peace on earth to men of good will i give into thy hands the child i stole away do that for her which i have not known how to do guard for her from all her enemies and blessed for ever be thy name End of section thirty two